can you believe that Christmas is less than one week away? Shopping done? Uh, not too confident. Um, you know, I absolutely love this time of year. Uh, I think back of some of my favorite memories as a child is around Christmas time. The feeling of anticipation, waking up on Christmas morning and being there with, with family uh, and friends, it's absolutely incredible. Uh, and I remember those moments. Um, does anyone have a special Christmas gift? And this is uh, open for audience participation that you remember that changed your life as a kid. Would anyone like to share one? Just shout it out. My magic makeup doll. Um, was it? Ma- ma- imagine? Imagine makeup doll. That's it. Any, in, anyone else? One more. A University of Tennessee sweatshirt. I love that. Well, you know, it's, it's incredible. You know, I, I remember a few. And actually, I, we can maybe show it on, on the screen really quickly. Um, I think that this was the gift that changed my life. Um, grandma, grandpa, mom, dad, they, they bought us uh, a tractor just like this. And I remember they, they were really sneaky about it. You know, they brought it in somehow. They, they hid it from us. It was too big to wrap. And so they gave us these little flashlights. We opened them, and they told us to go into another room. And we're like, oh, yay, we love these, these flashlights. And then we came back out, and here's the tractor, right? And this is the gift that just kept on giving. I'm sure mom and dad loved it when we dug holes in the backyard and stuff like that with this thing. But it was really a lot of fun. And, you know, but looking back, what I really remember, yeah, there were, there were a few gifts, but it was really this time spent with that anticipation and that joy as a child, thinking about getting a little older, spending time with grandma, grandpa, and family and friends, that's really what it was all about. But, you know, it's, uh, so I look forward, even today though, with that, uh, you know, childlike anticipation. And now as a dad, I see Christmas from a whole new perspective. For the last two Christmases, uh, my daughter was born on December the 1st, and so it's incredible. We spent two Christmases with her. And it just changes completely how, how you view it. And, uh, but I still have that childlike you know, feeling of the anticipation of Christmas. And I, I, know say, I know we say that Christmas is not about the presence, but I do want to remind us that God did give his son. He came to this earth humbly born in a manger. It was God's gift to us. So technically, Christmas is about a present. It is about God being present with us. So from my family to yours, I hope you have a very merry, merry Christmas this year. For today's message, I will say that it is not your traditional pre-Christmas, Christmas story message. But this message is about the real reason, the true reason that Jesus Christ came to this earth. It is about the greatest love story ever told. It is about the personification of God's love and Christ becoming the suffering servant for us all. It is about the cross. It is about the greatest act of love that a person could ever express to another. So I hope that it blesses you this Christmas season. As a friendly reminder, and as we are very close to coming to the end of the Mark, season, uh, Mark series, which I've greatly enjoyed, is... We'll be, coming, we'll be covering Mark 15 today, and of course, there's only one more chapter left, and we'll finish that next week, but Mark in chapters 1 through 8, and this may be up on the screen, depicts Jesus as the all-powerful, omnipotent Messiah, and it's not until Mark 8 through 10 
when Mark really begins to reveal to, to us in, it, um, in the book the true nature and the mission of Jesus. And finally, in chapter 16, uh, I'm sorry, 11 through 16, we see Christ as the suffering servant, which is the fulfillment of the true reason of why he came to this earth. So as Pastor Brian mentioned a few uh, weeks back, the timeline really begins to slow down at this point in Mark. And actually, each chapter uh, depicts about a day in the life of Christ. And last week, Pastor Brian gave a very powerful message on Mark 14 as he shared the last intercalation, or as bagels, as we like to call them here uh, at Trinity uh, with us. And the message was about this moment of extravagant worship that is sandwiched between this plotting and even more plotting against Jesus to kill him. Then that message, Pastor Brian shared with us the focal point of Mark 14, right in the middle of all that plotting and scheming to kill Jesus, was this beautiful moment of extravagant worship. So last week we left Jesus about a day or so, two days, before his betrayal and his death on the cross. But before we get into uh, Mark 15 today, uh, you know, why is this passage important? You know, at, at this time of year we celebrate Christ's birth, but ultimately the reason that he came was not to set up an earthly kingdom, it was not to create some political revolution, but rather it was to be betrayed and mocked and ultimately die on a cross for the sins of the world, for the sins that you and I would commit. In short, Mark 15 takes us to the foot of the cross, and it is my prayer today that we will be able to emotionally connect with Jesus and what he did on that cross for you and what he did on that cross for me. And if you've already done so, I hope this message moves you one step closer, or if you've not done so already, rather, one step closer to placing your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ today. And if you've already made that decision, and if you've placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, it is my prayer that this message would encourage you to have the strength and the courage and the endurance to continue to follow him regardless of the cost, to make the tough choices, to continue to follow him even when it seems as if the cost of doing that may be very high. So today as we focus on chapter 15, today in the text, I want us to invest just a few minutes in the second half of 14, where we find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane just hours before he's taken into custody. So let's read Mark 14, starting in verse 32. It says, And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and he prayed, if it were possible, this hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba Father, all things are possible with you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but you will. 
And he came and he found them sleeping. And he said, Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch just one hour? Watch and pray that you may not fall into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came a third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. You know, firstly, this passage of scripture in Mark in this text, it really is very compelling. And, but can we just for a moment this morning try to put ourselves into their shoes that night in the garden? Jesus has just shared with the disciples in the previous verses that one of the 12 would betray him. I'm sure that's heavy on their mind. Jesus is stricken with this unimaginable sorrow and grief, knowing that he will face literally in just hours the cross and that he would become the punishment of sin, that his father would turn his back on him. But have you ever paused to wonder why Jesus invites and urges the disciples to witness him in such bitter anguish? You know, he asked the disciples to be with him, to pray with him, to witness him in this moment where he's the most vulnerable. Jesus tells them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. You know, firstly, I'd like to remind us all what the disciples have, have seen. They've seen Jesus heal the sick. They have seen him bring the dead back to life. They've seen him confront the the religious rulers' uh, crazy questions with confidence and authority. Even the winds and the sea, they have seen obey Jesus. But tonight, it feels very different. Tonight, it feels as if everything is unraveling right before their eyes. They're exhausted and they're worried, they're concerned, they're confused. And they've definitely never seen Jesus in this place before. And maybe it was tempting for them to think, surely Jesus will stand up for himself. Surely he will not be arrested. He will not himself be, let himself be falsely accused. There must be some way out of this legal sham. But regardless of what they've been running through their minds, they've never seen Jesus in this place of vulnerability, like on this night in the physical and the emotion, emotional exhaustion they must have felt. And Jesus outstretched on the ground, praying until his sweat became as blood, asked his Father in heaven if there's another way. But even at this point of final decision, this point of no turning back, Jesus prays that the will of the Father be done and not his own. He intentionally and sacrificially is making a decision to go through with something that would cost him his very life and all of the imaginable. But even in the midst of this anguish, do you know why I believe that Jesus asked the disciples to witness his grief? 
you know, it could have been to provide some comfort. I mean, to have during this time, I believe it's a good application for us that when we are facing the, the trials of life and it seems like the world is just crushing down upon us, in those moments of decision and sorrow and brokenness, it's important to surround ourselves with Christian believers and our family and friends that can be there to help, to help us through those times. But I think there's more than that. I believe that Jesus, even in this moment of such anguish, even in the moment of grief and sorrow, was unselfishly thinking about the disciples and the future hardships that they would endure. He's only hours from the cross. And they had a life of ministry left. I believe he wanted them to see the son of the almighty God stretched out on the ground asking for deliverance. But even more, he wanted them to see his passion and his willingness to face the cross. To forsake his own body and accept his father's will even unto death. Here he is literally being crushed and even in this moment he is setting an example. It's an example for the disciples. It's an example for you and me that when we're going through those times we have Jesus as an example to see in scripture. There is an application for us today when we are faced with our own circumstances and when it is decision time during those moments when we are playing for keeps and when we have come face to face with making a choice to follow Christ and to do it God's way, I pray that these scriptures would give us that strength and that courage to power through it and to do it God's way. So in Mark 14b, in the midst of the betrayal, in the midst of the anguish, Jesus is setting for us an example which I hope encourages us and strengthens us to follow even more fervently, walk the path that God has set for each of us to walk. Next, as we move forward in the text, Jesus is betrayed and he's arrested. Jesus is presented before the council, which is really a legal sham. They had no legitimate or reason to put him to death. Their testimonies were false and conflicting. But then they ask Jesus and he says, I am Christ, the son of God. And at that moment, they tore their clothes and they accused him of blasphemy and they condemned him to death. And in verse 65 of 14, we see where they start mocking him. They start spitting on him and punching him, covering his face and saying, tell us who punched you. And we see the beginning here of the mockery of Christ. I want to read starting in verse 16. Jesus has been already presented to Pilate upon the crowd's demands and he's delivered Jesus over to them to be crucified. Let's turn to Mark 15, 16, verse 16. It says, and the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion And they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, hail, king of the Jews. And they were striking him on the head with a reed and they were spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and they put his own clothes on him and they led him out to crucify him. 
and they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from, from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he didn't take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each would take. And it was in the third hour when they crucified him, and the inscription of the charge against him read, King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, and they wagged, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, then save yourself and come down off the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes, they, they mocked him too, saying, Well, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling for Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and putting it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait and let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus uttered with a loud cry and he breathed his last and the curtain of the temple was written too, from top to bottom. So as we look at this text today, a few phrases just jump out to me. First, there's the betrayal, the injustice, the mockery, the physical pain, just to name a few. I think about the injustice. Here he is crucified between two criminals, but he was innocent. I think about the betrayal and, and those who mocked him and, and wagged their tongues at him as if they were better. I think about the pain of the crucifixion, the crown of thorns, the flogging, the nails, being driven through his hands and his feet and ultimately the moment where Jesus cries out and he breathes his last. And Mark is very clear on this point. And this is very important theologically. Mark doesn't say that he fainted. Doesn't say that he fell asleep. It doesn't say that he became incapacitated in some way. Mark says that Jesus with a loud cry breathed his last breath. Mark is very clear that Jesus died on the cross that day. Darkness descended upon the earth and the curtain in the temple that provided that separation between the holy of holies was rent in two from the top to the bottom. And Jesus cries out in a loud voice and died. You know, there's a, a gravity in this moment. You know, there's no more struggling there is no more fighting for breath. There is, Jesus had breathed his last. The fight was over. The, the hardship that he must endure had, had come to an end. And he had become, in fact, the ransom for many. The hardship that he must endure was now complete. The prophecies that had been foretold are now fulfilled, each and every one of them. 
This is how much Jesus loved his disciples. This is how much Jesus loved you and me. This is how much Jesus loved the ones who mocked him and crucified him. This is how much for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But what Mark writes next just pierces through the emotions that I feel when I read about the anguish, anguish of Jesus on the cross. Remember, Jesus' mission and his purpose, as Mark wants to present, is that Christ is a suffering servant. But Mark includes in his account in verse 39, and I can just say that verse 39 alone would have been enough of a reason for Jesus to have endured all that he endured. Let's read 39. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. Truly, this man was the son of God. Even before the condensation of the breath of Jesus had dissipated from the air, and as Jesus had closed his eyes and all went dark, the eyes of this Roman soldier were opened. The light of Christ had pierced the night. The crowd at the foot of the cross faded into the distance, and the Roman soldier bowed before the cross of Christ and said, Surely this man must be the Son of God. His eyes were opened and he saw the crucifixion, the, the crucifixion of Christ as something more. You know, and it is reasonable to assume that this centurion soldier that had helped crucify many men on this hill. This is probably not his first and probably not his last. But this evening, this night on Golgotha, the soldier just doing his job found himself at the foot of the cross of Christ. Truly, this man is different. This moment is different. This isn't just another crucifixion. Truly, this man is the Son of God. He saw through the legal sham. He saw through the betrayal, the mockery, and the lies. And for the first time, he saw Jesus as the suffering servant on the cross, and he worshiped at the foot of the cross. He had his personal at the foot of the cross moment, literally, literally. May I ask a personal question this morning to all of us? Have you had that moment? Maybe you're here today and you're just checking church out. That is okay. We're glad you're here. Maybe you've heard about Jesus, but maybe you want to learn more. Church is an amazing place to start. But if you have not had, after reading this text, my prayer is that this message, most importantly, this passage of scripture, would move you one step closer to your at the foot of the cross moment in your life. Today I'm sharing with you the greatest love story that I could share as we move one step closer to the end of Mark, and as there's only one chapter left, we have read all of the previous chapters and with so many applications presented in the messages. But here in chapter 15, Mark takes us 
to the foot of the cross. So in summary, Mark 15 takes us to the foot of the cross. And again, it is my prayer that you're able to emotionally connect with what Jesus did on that cross for you and what he did on that cross for me. And today, I hope this passage encourages you and moves you one step closer to say, you know what? That type of compassion, that type of love, I I want that and I need that in my life. And secondly, maybe if you have accepted Christ as your savior, but this morning, maybe you feel as if you are experiencing your own garden of Gethsemane. Maybe you see trouble on the horizon. Maybe you are just feeling emotionally crushed. And Gethsemane, that's more likely what it means is to be pressed down, to 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 be squeezed. Maybe that's the way that you feel this morning. Maybe you're facing a moment of final decision. And if inviting a friend to share in prayer with you is what you're needing, I just want you to know we do have an amazing prayer team that would love to pray for you. You can email them at prayer at trinityny.org. You know, about three years ago now, my, I had to suffer from two pulmonary embolisms. And I had not yet walked through the door of the hospital, and this prayer team was emailing me prayers and words of encouragement for me. This church made a difference in my life, personally. Maybe that's what you need. Maybe you need someone to come and to be there with you and to pray with you. Let, the, let this church and the prayer team or one of us email us, Pastor Brian or myself. We would love to pray with you. But ultimately, I pray that this text would encourage you to have the strength and the courage to make that tough choice to follow Jesus, even if the cost is high. So I'd like to say just one last thing. If you have had your at the foot of the cross moment, May I just say that someone may need to hear that story. You know what's crazy is that, you know, this Roman soldier got to experience it one-on-one. You can't get any closer than that. But you know, my story, my at the foot of the cross story may be completely different than yours. How you come to Christ, how you put your faith in him, it's very unique, I'm sure. Share that story with someone. This Christmas, as we celebrate the coming of Christ and the joy that it brings, I would like to encourage us all to share our personal story of salvation with someone. Share with someone the gift that will last for an eternity, unlike the Amazon stuff that we're going to open up and then in a week, you know, is it even a week? Maybe like a day, the kids have crashed the plane into the trees outside, right? Help someone else put the gift of salvation under their tree this Christmas. And if your soul is heavy this Christmas, He will see you through, and that I promise you, he will never leave your side. He is there for you, and he has already endured what you have endured and more. He knows where you are, because truly, this man was the Son of God. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to bow before you now. And God, I just pray that as Mark takes us to the foot of the cross, this Roman soldier who blocked out all of the crowd and the lies and the rumors and he bowed himself before you I pray if there's someone here today online or if they're here and they've not made that decision and they've not had that at the foot of the cross moment that today would be the day they say you know I want that moment in my life I want to feel the love of Christ
God, if we've made the decision, but we feel as if we're in that garden of Gethsemane of our life today, I pray that we would be strengthened and encouraged with your example that you've set before us. We thank you for your love and your grace. In Christ's name, we pray these things.